0: Well, go ahead, if you have your Bibles, grab them. Uh, if you're new here, we use the ESV version. So if you don't have one of those, we have one back at the table. But you can also grab your device and uh, click on the ESV. Well, man, I'm, uh, I'm excited about this transition that we're in right now. This would be a transition for the church as we're planting Worcester, as we're, as we're getting ready to launch there on September 11th. And what I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to take a week in between the end of our Christ in the Psalm series that we wrapped up last week with Pastor Jason Bradshaw, who, by the way, I heard his message. He just slayed it. I mean, that dude. He, he's that's a preacher for you, Jason Bradshaw. And uh, but he killed it. And so this is sort of a, a connector transition sermon between our Christ in the Psalm series and First Peter, which we're going to be starting on for the fall next week. A series called Holiness. And hope, and what I want to do is just set us up a little bit for how we're transitioning and looking down sort of the corridor of what is you know fall time for us, um, both perth- uh, both personally and uh, and as a church. And I think um, one of the things that Worcester in doing this work reminds me of is is just that word that I've been using is transition. We're transitioning. This is a transition for the church. There are people here that will now be there starting tonight and um, so it's a transition for our church for you guys fall is a time of transitions you guys are trans many of you are transitioning in many different ways i think about oliver watson ollie dude's going into kindergarten that's a transition for him it's a big change it's a new start it's a new beginning for some of you guys you're entering high school for some of you guys, you're getting out of high school. You're going into college. I just met some freshmen that, are, that just started at AU. This is a change. This is a transition uh, in their life. It's a new life phase. Um, for some of you guys, the fall represents other things. It means maybe that you're spending life without somebody that you had. Maybe you lost somebody this year. And going into the fall, entering the holiday season represents now, I'm now living life with somebody either that passed or maybe I'm living life with somebody who went to college, who's going to college, and I'm now there absent from my daily routine and from the life that we've lived together. So for a lot of you, there's a lot of change as we turn the corner into September. And that typically happens every year because it's a transitional time. For, for some of you, there is, there is no transition. You're like, transition? You're like, big art. give me a transition, Like, I I want to transition because all it feels like for me is monotony. All it feels like for me is that there is just a daily grind in my life that keeps spinning and nothing else changes. And so the questions that that brings up in our hearts are things like this. Why am I here? Do you ever ask yourself that question, whether consciously or subconsciously? Why am I here? Like your kids ask you that question. Why am I here? Your kids might ask you this question. Why did God make us? What was the reason? What was the purpose of it? And then you ask that question about yourself. And you say, what is my purpose? Will I be able to maintain these transitions that feel like they're ripping a part of my heart out? Or that they're causing a level of fear and anxiety to sort of coat my heart? What is my purpose? Why am I here? What is God doing? Well, that's what i want to talk about this morning. If you want to turn to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Here's the main point for today. And it's this. In talking about transitions. In talking about the purpose for our life. This is what God has for us. God has given us a ministry. A message. And a mission. That is formed by our identity and status as a reconciled son or daughter of God. So that's kind of what we're going to be diving into as we think about what it is that God has saved us to. Because God has saved us to something. He doesn't save us just to be able to sit on the sidelines and just kind of look out and watch everything that he's doing. That's part of it. But he also calls us to be on the field playing at the same time. And we're going to look ...at what that means. we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is Paul's second letter. This is a little background for you. This is Paul's second letter to this just messy, messy church. The church in Corinth, of course, nothing like ours, obviously. But what he does is he spends 13 chapters in 2 Corinthians. And what he does is he contrasts the gospel with the prevailing culture of the time... ...by illustrating how the good news of Christ... ...what it does, the power that it has, is that it unmasks our idols and it changes our affections and our actions, okay? Because our natural draw, your natural draw, my natural draw is toward external qualities being what justifies us. We just want to be able to look at things and go, no, that looks good. That feels good. Therefore, it must be good. We hold nice people and we hold good guys in high esteem, right? We're a very nice people, good guy culture, we like those external qualities, but the gospel tells us is that our goodness, the only goodness that we can have that's worth anything, is an internal qualification that has to come from Jesus because it does not exist in us. It's the cheeriest message you're going to hear all day. It doesn't exist in us. So let's hear what Paul has to say about that. 1 Corinthians 5, we're going to be jumping all over the place. We're going to be going through verses 14, uh, 14 through 21, but I'm going to start in verse 17, and we're going, to kind of, we're going to kind of find our way through all this. And it says this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's just stop right there for one second. You are born with irreconcilable differences between you and God. That's what's going on right there. You look at that and you go, what the heck? But what Paul is saying is you were born with irreconcilable differences between you and God. So God planned from the beginning, it says in Colossians 1, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. By the blood of Christ. That's what reconciliation means, is making peace by the blood of the cross. So our peace with God by the blood of the cross, it's this thing, it's this theological term that we're all a little pushback on, but it's called imputation, all right? And what imputation means is our sin was transferred to Jesus on the cross, and Jesus's righteousness was transferred to us when we believe and we repent of our sins and turn from them to him. That's what that means. So what Paul means when he says in Christ, therefore everyone who is in Christ, what he means by the in Christ are those who have a new legal standing of righteousness before God. Romans 6 says this. This is Paul talking to the church in Rome. He said, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's what that passage is talking about right there. And what it's really saying is union with Christ. That's what we're talking about when we have received that imputation. It means we now have union with Christ. Here's what Paul is not saying. This is what he's not saying. Paul does not say if anyone is in church, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. This is what Paul is not saying. He does not say, therefore, if anyone is in community with really nice people, you are now a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. What's happened in American Christianity is that we've re-engineered the transforming work of Christ to resemble something different, to resemble something it's not, to resemble something more similar to like cosmetic surgery. Some of us default into thinking of Christianity being like cosmetic surgery. Like, Who's watched Extreme Makeover? There's not going to be church discipline on you if you raise your hand for that one. One of you is honest. I appreciate that. So Extreme Makeover, right, where they get these candidates in, and, and I quote, this is what the show is all about. I'm just quoting from the show. Two candidates' looks are changed in an effort to transform their lives and make their dreams come true. Right? Because you know, when I get my hair just right in the morning, I just think, dreams coming true. (laughs) It happened. Didn't happen this morning, I got to be honest with you. It's easy to laugh, right? It's funny, but it's easy to laugh and be self righteous about this, brothers and sisters. I'm telling you. But here's the question, all right? This is what we're going to be driving at a little bit today. Is this, is your Christianity merely cosmetic? Is it cosmetic? Is it like a tummy tuck? Is it like a lip injection? What, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not killing people who've had tummy tucks and lip injections. But is it like that? Because that's not what the Apostle Paul means when he says the old has passed away, the new has come. That's not what he's saying. He's saying what happens to you in this Active imputation is that you have a new nature, you have a new purpose, you have new desires, you have new loves, you have new hates, and you have new actions. Romans 7 says this, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. What he means by that is thinking that we have to keep all the rules, we have to keep the Ten Commandments, thinking and believing that that's what's going to save us. But he says, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. So what was happening is that your old nature, before Christ saves you, your old nature, it feeds on scraps. It feeds on the scraps of what we would call self-justification. I'm a good guy. I treat people nice. So if there is a God and, you know, there's a six to five, right, that he's out there, um, he'll accept me because I got those things. I'm doing well. But your life before Christ, it was almost like living on appetizers, right? I like appetizers, right? I mean, they're not all bad, but, but they're not the main course, right? When Christ transforms a person, it's like being served a main course for the first time. You finally have something nourishing to feast upon. You no longer have to fill up on those things that, that can't nourish, that can't satisfy your true Hunger. That's what life before Christ is like. Some of it tastes delicious. And when we feed on it, it actually gives us the the impression that we're full. But really, our body is lacking that main course and the nutrients that come with the main course. So here's the question. We've been reconciled. Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us. We've been reconciled with God. We've made peace with God because of the work of Christ on the cross. But what does it save us to? What does it save us to? Because God, here's what God's not doing, okay, when he saves you. He's not putting you on a shelf after he saves you like a trophy he won from Christ's hard-fought victory on the cross. That's not what he's doing, right? Christians are not figures in God's display case at his wax museum like up in heaven, right? That's not what he's doing. That's not what he's doing. Let's go to verse 18 and we'll see what he's doing. It says this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So what God has given to you As he saved you, as he's given you a ministry, he's given you a message. in a little bit, we're going to look at the mission that he's given you. But the first thing that he gives you here, according to Paul, is a ministry and a message. The ministry of reconciliation. And first off, it says here, as we look down at verse 18, our reconciliation with God is in exclusive work of God. It all comes from God. Paul affirms this in Romans 11 when he says, speaking about God, he says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. There's no other way to read that. But that everything that God does was for the purposes of God. And as we pursue more deeply the purposes of God, we actually find greater satisfaction and joy and happiness because whatever God purposed for us means that the more we pursue his purposes, that's where we find that satisfaction. So everything comes from God. Our salvation comes from God. This imputation comes from God. Our legal standing comes from God. The beauty of our reconciliation that it starts And it ends with God. Not at one point. There's not one point where God leaves it up to you. There's not one point where He like lifts His hand off the back seat and says, "Pedal, brother." Does that shock some of you to hear that? God helps those who help themselves. Wrongo. If that was the case, why did you need help in the first place? God helps you because you cannot help yourself that's the beauty and the grace of reconciliation. So in the same way that God visited Paul, remember how Paul came to know Jesus. He was visited on the, the Damascus road. A light came down. And, and Jesus looked down and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me, brother? What are you doing? Here I am. I'm alive. And I'm going to send you out now to give witness and testimony that I am alive. But in the same way that God visited Paul on the Damascus road, he invades our life. He invades our life with the light of his salvation. He transfers us from darkness into light. So what does this reconciliation save us to? It says it right there in verses 18 and 19. To ministry, to message of reconciliation. What does that mean exactly? Don't you hate it when people use words and they don't tell you what they mean? This is what it means. Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, 19th century theologian, he said, this ministry of reconciliation means this. You guys ready? Ready? To labor to bring men into harmony with God. That's the work. That's the work He's given us. That's the ministry that He's given to you. Not just to me, He's given it to all of us as people that are recipients of reconciliation. It's the work God has given everyone He's reconciled to to proclaim Christ's work on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. So this is the grace of God. He saves us and then He gives us a job, a ministry. He gives us a job description, which is the message. And then he gives us a job title that we're going to look at in a minute called an ambassador. And what this does is this helps us clear up a lot of the confusion that we face concerning what our purpose is and why we exist as redeemed people, also known as the church. And here's the thing. If the church doesn't have the ministry and message of reconciliation at its core, then it becomes nothing more than a do-good organization. At best. And at worst, just a do-nothing organization. I mean, we have the United Way, don't we? We have the YMCA. We have the Red Cross. We have the Rotary Club. I don't know. We have the Croc Center. Those are, those are do-good organizations, We can partner with people like that when their work overlaps with the work that God has called the church to. But Christianity is different. Christianity is a ministry and a message that is exclusively about people being reconciled with God through repentance of sin. That's what this is. If that message is missing, we've lost everything. And some churches are are fronting on that now. And they've lost everything. Here's some examples of how that can tragically play out for, for some of us in a more personal way. When Christianity in the church is, is something personal. We make it a personal thing to us. Right, man? I, mm, you know, I don't like to talk about it. This is like something that I got going between me and the big guy upstairs. You know, I don't want to inf- offend anybody. You know, I want to live and let live. I'm okay. You're okay. You know, I just like to keep it to myself. Because the worst thing that can happen is that somebody's going to accuse me of being unkind or unloving or bigoted. Well, you know, it it could be that when they accuse you of that, they're right. Right? Because we're, we're told to be gracious. But we're never told anywhere in Scripture that this is supposed to be a personal thing to us. So for some of us, Christianity in the church is personal. For some of us, it's just a positive thing, man. Church, right? It's good. It's a healthy environment, man. The kids are five now. It's time to start bringing them to church. This is something that's going to be good for them. It's, it's family. I mean, it's not, not a challenging environment for me. It's not a costly environment for me. I, I, I like kind of, you know, I, I kind of like the way I feel when I walk out the doors. I feel better. I feel like I'm contributing something. My kids are hearing positive truth, blah, blah, blah. Christianity in the church for some of you it's personal for some it's positive for some it's moral it's just moral right man it's a, it's a code of it's a code of conduct I like the church because it tells me how to live and I want to live right I like it because it's about family values I like it because most churches man they're promoting you know small government you know I, I, I like those things they make me feel like a good citizen and for some, it's, it's social. It's a social thing. You know, man, I love my community. I love doing good for my community. You know, I believe in social justice. I believe in equality. I, you know, I, I fight for racial reconciliation. Um, I fight against systemic injustice. Man, are, are, are those things good things? I think so. You know, I think those are good things. I, I, think, I think there's a part of most of those things that we would embody uh, um, um, as a church when you get... Into, uh, get into us and see how it is that we live out the, the fruit of what Christ is doing. But, but none of those things, listen, you guys, none of those things are the ministry and message of reconciliation, as good as they are. And the church makes a critical error when it assumes, listen, the church makes a critical error when it assumes people have been reconciled without knowing if they've ever heard the message. Verse 16. Look at what it says. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Do you see what it says there? Christianity is not a political position. I know what's going on right now in the world, in our world. But Christianity is not a political position. It's not a personal conviction. It's not a positive lifestyle. It is picking up your cross, denying yourself, and following Christ down the costliest road you will ever encounter. So I'm lying to you all if I say anything different than that. It's being reconciled with the God of wrath. Listen, it gives me no joy to say this. It's being reconciled with the God of wrath who will punish all of those who refuse to put their faith in Jesus and turn from their sin. Reconciliation with God is the only thing that can re-engineer people's insides. That's it. That's the only thing. Play dates with your neighbors? Nice. Good. You know, wings with the boys at BW3s? Yeah, I, I mean, Good. That's sweet. But you've been entrusted with a ministry and message that is intertwined with your new creation identity. And so what's that message? Well, let's read. Verse 21. told you we're going to be skipping around a lot. The message is this. For our sake, he, meaning God, made him, meaning Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. That's the message. That's the message. That's the life changer right there. Human beings have a need for new hearts. Human beings have a need for new hearts. So stop being so eager to proclaim your lost friends and neighbors as good guys. Can I just be real with you for a second right there? They're dying. I'm getting all Baptist right now, but that's what's going on. Stop regarding them according to the flesh, because here's the thing. It's not loving. It's not loving. Your heart should break for your lost neighbors because their heart has not broken for Christ. This is the message Paul says has been entrusted to us. You know those dudes, if you go to the inner city, it usually doesn't happen in places like Ashland. But you know those dudes who wear the sandwich boards that usually say something like, The end is near. Repent. You know those guys? Does anybody know those guys? Okay. Now look, I'm not advocating what they do because their message is missing kind of the good part of the good news. Right? God is angry about sin, but he also sent Christ because of his great love for us. But, but, but it's a good illustration for us in that they don't just have a message. They are the message, right? Their lives are a living example of the message. They wear it. They embody it. But most Christians don't, don't act like that. Most Christians have an identity crisis. Most Christians are like the first born movie where you're just running around just forgetting who you are. And maybe you're inflicting a lot of pain on people. I don't know if you've got those kind of skills like Damon does. Let's be honest. You know, when we were driving um, home, we spent a week in Asheville, North Carolina. It was really interesting driving down the highway. And by interesting, I mean not very interesting at all. And, um, but as you're driving by and you see the signs that have all the different restaurants on them. Every time you drive by a Chick-fil-A, it says Chick-fil-A. And below it, it says closed on, on Sunday. Yeah, I know. It's, the chicken is amazing. But it says closed on Sunday at the bottom of the sign, right? Here's what's interesting. If they're a corporation, Chick-fil-A is, who willingly gives up millions of dollars every week because they shut down on Sunday. It's just kind of baffling. It's a little, it's a little counterculture to how we normally think of how corporations should, um, should uh, you know, engage in business. But what's the message there, all right? Chick-fil-A closed on Sundays. I mean, what's the message there? It's not, it's not go to church. That's not the message, Because God's not going to say to the owners of Chick-fil-A, well done, good and faithful servants, because Chick-fil-A made everyone abstain from chicken on Sundays. That's not what God's going to say. God's not going to say, well done, owners of Chick-fil-A, because you saved all those cows and helped cut down on heart disease for like that one day out of the week. that's That's not what he's going to say. He's not going to say, well done, because you gave your employees Sunday off so they could be with their families. That is not what God's going to say to the owners of Chick-fil-A. And yet, like, that last thing that I read, that, that kind of melts your heart a little bit, doesn't it? Like, like, I felt like I heard somebody go, oh, you know, like that whole thing, right? That kind of melts our hearts. But what is the real reason to be closed on Sunday? What's the real message there? It's Reconciliation. Because Sunday is the day God raised his son from the dead so that we might be reconciled with God and not die in our sins. That's the message. Gather with your church to worship the one who reconciles sinners. That's the real reason Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. That's what makes them ambassadors of more than just chicken. Even though we all agree their chicken's fantastic, right? And that's who we've been called to be, is what Chick-fil-A is being. Just even a little bit right there, just a a hint of it in that sign, we're called to be ambassadors for Christ. Let's go to verse 20 right now, 5 verse 20. It says this, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you read the book of Ephesians, you'll see that Paul called himself, again, an ambassador in chains. And then he asked the Ephesian church to pray that he would speak boldly. And he he phrased it like this. He said, pray that I would speak boldly as I ought to. He didn't say pray that I'd get released from these chains so I can speak then boldly as I ought to. He was a representative of reconciliation in his location and circumstance. It's like when you go to another country. Your status as an American doesn't ebb and flow. It's who you are. But your status as an ambassador, as a representative for Christ, carries a little bit more weight than that because you are God's mouthpiece for reconciliation. The struggle that I have with that, I'm not going to put any of you in that even though you're in that, the struggle I have in my flesh is my desire for alternative identities. So God comes down, he reconciles, he makes peace with me. And, and I, he says, I am your father. He says, you are now my adopted son. And I say, yeah, about that. I kind of like being this over here. But you know what? We can still hang out on Sundays and when I die... Uh, you know, you'll have me forever. How about that? That's a great deal for you, God. But for now, what I want to be is more important than who I am in you the identity that you have given me, the purpose that I find in Christ because Christ imputed his righteousness into my life. It's irrational, isn't it? Like when I phrase it like that, it sounds stupid. It's irrational, but that's what sin does. It obscures truth. It deceives our hearts. It's like if you've ever had the experience of buying your daughter an American Girl doll. Has anybody ever had that experience? Did we not do an American Girl? Okay, so American Girl dolls used to be these really sort of, yeah, you know, I'm not even going to go into it. But back in our day, we would buy our daughter American Girl dolls, right? And she would love these dolls. What was amazing is when we would buy her the doll and she would end up only playing with the packaging. You know? I mean, as a parent, you're like, but you, you have the, like, here's, like, I got the doll. Like, I'm holding the doll now. You're like, you have the, you have the doll. And she's, your kid's like, yeah, but the box is so pretty, you know? And you're like, the box is empty. Like, what is that? The box is only there to tell you that this was in it, the doll. It, it's irrational. But it's what we do. It's what we do. Because before you were a child of God, you were a child of wrath. You were under God's wrath. You were like a person floating on a raft down the river heading to Niagara Falls. That's what it was. What's hilarious is that you thought you were the captain of an ocean liner because sin deceives. But you were just a person without a compass on a piece of wood headed for disaster. Yeah, some of the scenery was spectacular, but it was the only beautiful thing you'd ever see before you took your eternal trip over the falls. That's what life is like before reconciliation, and that's where people who we have a message for and ambassadors are heading without the message God has given us to communicate. So we need to know who we are and remember who we were, and you are a new creation, you are reconciled to God through Christ who's given you a ministry and a message and a mission that is formed by that identity and status. It's the highest calling imaginable to declare the gospel as you ought to. But that's not good enough. Because we need to close now on the why. On the why. And when I say close, that's never a cue to close your Bibles because we're not done. We're not done yet. I just spent 30 minutes on, on what? What? and who, but why does any of this matter? Who cares about this identity and this status? Because you know what's weird? It's really easy not to care about that. It's really easy not to understand and to feel the weight of what that is. Here's what's interesting. We love, we love to-do lists as the church. I was talking to my wife about this yesterday. We love to-do lists at the end of messages like this, especially. Like, if I gave you right now a list of five ways to start proclaiming the message of Christ, being an ambassador, and evangelize, you, you'd all tell me what a convicting message it was at the end of this thing, right? You'd be like, oh, Ronnie. I don't know why I did that, but... I'm, probably, I'm not going to get a word out of you after this message now, because I don't have, I don't have a list. I didn't make a list, all right, because I'm I'm aiming at something that I think defeats lists, okay? Paul talks about ministry, message, and mission. Here's what's interesting. Nowhere does Paul talk about method. Doesn't get into method. Doesn't tell you the way to evangelize. Doesn't tell you the way to be an ambassador. You know what he says? Let's go to verse 14. Let's bounce back to 14 and let's read what he says as the build up to being an ambassador for Christ. This is what he says. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So here's what usually happens is with messages like this. Guys like me start yelling at you for not getting out there and evangelizing, for not being ambassadors. And what happens then is you leave, you walk out feeling burdened, and you feel guilt-tripped to death. Here's why I don't want to do that. Because it misses what we just read. It misses what Paul just said in verse 14. Notice the order of the verse. He doesn't start saying, Christ died, so get out there and stop living for yourself and start harassing everyone with the good news of the gospel. That's not what he says. He starts by saying this. The love of Christ controls us. Our reconciliation is the birth of, of just this explosive love and affection from Christ and for Christ that motivates literally everything that we do. Christ died so that we might die to the bondage that comes from living out our passions and desires that lead to death. It doesn't do any good to get that and be an ambassador if you don't pursue a deeper love affection and knowledge of the one you're representing. Do you see what I mean? If I send you out of here and just say, here's what you got to do, without saying, here's what's been done, and this is who you need to pursue, then it just leads to condemnation and guilt. Rather than representing the one who saved you from bondage, and that you want to share this good news from the undying the ever-growing love and affection that you have for them. Man, we spent a week, I mentioned this before, but we spent a week doing a lot of hiking through all of these, and just these stunning waterfalls. We did, we, I don't know if we knew the area was known for all of its amazing waterfalls um, in the North Carolina area, but when we got there, we got to explore a lot of them. Here's what's interesting. Um, two weeks ago, you guys probably don't remember the message, but let me just tell you something that I didn't tell you. I didn't tell you about the waterfalls. I didn't tell you about the waterfalls before I went to North Carolina. I mean, I, I, like, I, like, my wife showed me pictures. Like, I saw pictures of the waterfalls. They looked beautiful. They were beautiful. At one point, my wife goes, it's so beautiful, it makes my heart hurt. If excuse her. She's getting a little poetic there on us, right? I, I mean, I could have given you some facts about the waterfalls, right? I don't... I don't know what facts there are about waterfalls, but like, I could have explored you know, the, the nature of the waterfall and the history of it. I could have done all of that, but until I had tasted, until I had seen the waterfalls, man, I wouldn't be able to share the wonder and the splendor of them. I wouldn't be able to convince you that before you do anything else, you need to get out to Asheville and see these waterfalls. Does that make sense? To be an ambassador means representing something or someone you know. It doesn't mean just getting out there and grunting it out. A lousy ambassador is someone who has no love for who or what they're representing. It doesn't matter if you can give technical details about Christianity. Your knowledge needs to come from experience, from love, from affection. Affection. What do you always hear about athletes who have lost their way? Pro-athletes, I'm talking about the guys that have just like broken all these records. You always hear the stories of these dudes needing to go back to what? The love of the game. Because the contracts and the endorsements and all the adulation, it's not enough. To play well, they need to draw from the well of affection they originally had for the game when all they were was a kid with dreams to play the sport they loved. It's not that different for us the love of Christ is what needs to control us and our love for Christ needs to control us you know I I used to hate messages like this when I was a kid I was a kid who grew up in the church grew up in many different churches I used to hate messages like this they felt like such a heavy burden such a heavy burden Wasn't it the pastor's job to do all these things that he's talking about? So I walked out of church. I'd feel condemned. Um, I'd feel compelled towards the wrong things. The worst thing, all right, the worst thing would be to walk out of here begrudgingly or, or fearfully pounding the pavement angrily as an ambassador with the good news of the gospel, right? That's not being an ambassador. Being an ambassador is first spending your time ferociously pursuing your love and affection for Christ. And that will be what joyfully motivates your actions as an ambassador. We have to get the order right. And if you grew up in a church like I did where they got the order wrong, that's okay. You're here now. We're going to try to get the order right. We're going to tell you to pursue your love and your affection for everything that Christ Is. Because you know what? You were saved through an ambassador for Christ. If you're saved here today, that's how you were saved. At some point, God made his appeal through one of his reconciled representatives, and the result of their obedience was your obedience. You believed in Jesus, you repented of your sins. And what that should do, is, I think of that, it should fill me with gratefulness and eagerness. So let me end by having you turn to the end of Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Because I can't talk about reconciliation here as a pastor by assuming you're reconciled. I would contradict what I just pleasantly was yelling at you about for 40 minutes. Paul gives the church a warning at the very end here. He says this, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He says, test yourselves. Or do you not realize this is about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And he's not talking about fail to meet the test in something that you had to earn your salvation and you didn't add up. He's saying maybe you were somebody who was never really given the message, but you were so surrounded by the ministry of reconciliation, you actually thought that all this time you've been a child of God, when in reality, if you were to look at the fruit of your life, you haven't been. It's a scary thing to examine, but I would encourage everybody here, with this question, do you need to be made right with God? Do you need to be made right with God this morning? And for those of you who have been reconciled, here's a diagnostic question for you. Are you spending your life, are you spending your life, we talked about purpose at the beginning of the sermon. We talked about why does God have me here? Well, here's my question. Are you spending your life preparing for a far less significant death, than the one you already have died in Christ? Okay, I'll say it again since nobody answered. Are you spending your life preparing for a far less significant death than the one you already died in Christ? Do not screw around with that answer. Is your life made up of getting everything in packed into this life? Because you can start seeing the end of life or maybe you're 20 and you've seen that happen to some of your relatives and it feels like life is short and I need to get it all in. I need to pack it with everything the world has to offer because this, this is what I'm living for. Is that your life? Because you've died a far more significant death. And God is saying, as ambassadors, that's what I'm asking you to prepare for. So pray and ponder heavily through that. Why am I here? Why did God make me? What is my purpose? It's to be controlled by the love of Christ. To no longer live for ourselves. And we don't die to ourselves by doing our duty, but by loving our Lord. So this is how I want you to walk out today. Go to the source. Go to the source. Drink Him in. Drink Christ in like a dying person who finds water in the desert. Drink Him in. Let the rest of your life flow from that. You will be an ambassador for Christ when the love of Christ is controlling you and flowing through you as your greatest treasure, as your deepest affection, and as your best love. Let's pray. Lord, we have such a tendency in our lives to not understand our identity and our purpose. We seek it, we search for it in so many different ways when We lack so much understanding in understanding that when we've been reconciled from you, we have received an identity that carries us to and through eternity. Lord, help us to receive this truth. Help us to be faithful ambassadors to you and for you. And for the glory of your name, so that people might be reconciled to God, so that they might find peace in their life, that they might be released from the bondage of their sin. But Lord, we want to do the first thing. We want to pursue your Son. We want to find our joy and our hope and our heart and our life and our affection and our happiness in the pursuing of Jesus. Lord, let that be what we go after so ferociously. So this ministry and this message and this mission flows out of us naturally. Lord, don't let us waste the words of this book in pursuing so many temporal things when we have already died the most significant death of our life, which was to our sins, so that we might know you and live for you and with you for eternity. Lord, for those who don't know you, we pray that you would grip them with your love. We pray that you would speak to them right now. We pray that your spirit would open up their hearts and their minds to the beauty and the truth and the love that is found in the gospel to the truth and the beauty that is found in just repenting of our sins, receiving that work that you did on the cross and allowing you to transform their lives, transform every part of their lives. But we pray that you would do that. We pray that you would crush the hearts of those who need to be crushed. And in that, we might be able to see the greatness of your grace and the beauty of your love and the joy of your forgiveness. So we pray all these things today in your name and all God's people said, amen.